This time on episode 438 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is our interview with Eric and Julia Lewald. I'm Willie D. Nelson from All Things Good and Nerdy, a pop culture podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other tantalizingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. Now it's time for a scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Marvel Comic Book Universes as told on screen by a small startup of Disney called Marvel Studios. This show is recorded on Saturday, August 13th, 2022, with a previously on, which we'll get to later, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast Fox Kids Wide. Come enjoy our live chat as we record. And if you didn't already catch on to it, we love talking about Marvel. Because of future plans that I'm scared to put out into the world in case they don't happen because I said it. If you are concerned about future plans, you can talk to us about it on our website, legendsofshield.com. If you have ideas for where the MCU should go with their next story, definitely don't go on Twitter. But as you say anything else on Twitter, make sure to tag us at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you want to voice your concerns about the future, you can leave us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. If you want to make an apology video about how your thing completely ruined it because you went off schedule, you can go ahead and do that and be sure to tag us at YouTube.com slash you could go into great detail about your concerns about the future on our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And as always, don't forget that Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network, where we keep all of our future plan discussions secrets so nobody finds out. And this was one secret that we were glad to keep held closely. I did reach out to a couple people before we recorded what you're about to hear to try to get any questions that they might have. I reached out to Agent Haley and asked her, since she's a huge X-Men the Animated Series fan, and I also reached out to Anthony from Capes on the Couch, who gave quite a good question, which you will hear in a second. Now, we did this interview about 10 days ago, right before I had to leave to go move my son. Eric Lewald is the producer, basically in modern terms, would be called the showrunner of X-Men the Animated Series, the one that aired in the 90s that we are currently watching through, and his wife Julia was one of the writers on the show. We had been talking about the creative team behind X-Men the Animated Series. We went over Margaret Lesh, we went over Sydney I Want Her, we talked about Larry Houston, we talked about Haim Saban, we talked about a lot of these people, and then we stopped, and you might be thinking, why did you guys stop talking about these creative team? Well, it's because 
we knew we were going to be talking to Eric and Julia. Well, now we have that chance to bring their story forward. They're very prolific with cons when they can go to them. They were just at San Diego Comic-Con when they were talking about X-Men, the animated series. They weren't on the panel, but they were there in the room when X-Men, the animated series 97 was talked about. And they are going different places. They will talk about it at the end of the interview. But they also have a couple of books out there. And if you are into the X-Men, the animated series at all and want to know what the story behind are, they have the books. Go read them. See the art that was behind the show. And they have some incredible resources. If it wasn't for them, everything that we've been talking about probably would not be available for general public consumption. So these are the people that are behind keeping the knowledge of X-Men, the animated series from the 90s, and basically ran the show. So we are so grateful that they were here for us. I will warn the listener, this interview is 93 plus minutes long, so more than an hour and a half. We are not going to be talking about anything else this episode. You are literally just going to be listening to Eric and Julia. And I might add, you will not be listening to me very much. You will not be listening to Chris very much. You will not be listening to Michelle very much. This is their time to shine. Although both Michelle and Chris did have a chance to ask some questions. So with that, Chris, is there anything else you want to say to our listener before we turn them over to Eric and Julia? Be ready for a really fun interview. These two are always fun to get to talk to. And I'm so excited for X-Men 97 for reasons I'm scared to put out into the universe. Michelle? I was just happy that I was able to form words (laughs) and be relatively calm in the presence of people who helped shape my younger self. And I might add, they are shaping, helping shape the 97 series as well. They are on board as consultants. They are adamant that it is not their show, but they are involved as are Larry Houston. And I believe all the voice actors that remain are on the show as well. So with that, I feel any more would be a little bit too much. So we're just going to get right into the interview. Joining us is Eric and Julia LaWald, who are the producer and one of the writers of X-Men, the animated series, or more commonly known as X-Men 92. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you, SP. This is very nice of you to have us on. Thank you. Oh, this is kind of a dream of a few of us, right, Michelle? Yes. (laughs) And uh, kind of a rehash of Chris, because he spoke to you on Play Comics. Yeah. Well, we're going to make this one fun, too. Everybody should definitely listen to both. Hey, it's magic now that you can do that. Well, you're working for Disney now, so of course the magic's there. Kind of. We can't talk much about (laughs) what's coming up because Marvel and Disney are two of the most, so we say, um, Uh, specific, specific. companies in the planet so there's a little not much we can say about it but yes we are helping out on the new x-men series that's coming out in the, this coming well next year next year next year in the fall 
which yeah. they announced at San Diego Comic-Con right. specifically. So we know that's yeah, uh, out there now. And of course it's, it's a whole new group of people making, you know, making their series, but they were kind enough to ask us and original producer director, Larry Houston mm-hmm. to come on as, as consultants. And in that way, they, as they put it, we're their first audience. And we respond and say, we, we love that. Or, gee, I'm not quite sure about that. Or we try not to be the crotchety old parts that say, you know, in my day, we, we, we did it differently. But it's, it's a group of just dozens and dozens of really oh. talented young people that are making this new show next year. And, and who grew up on X-Men, the original yeah, series. Yeah, so that's, loved that, it. And that's always very humbling. So, you know, I was five when I watched <laughs> your show. And reminding <laughs> us how old we were when we made the show. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm a little bit older than that, too. Yeah. So it was very, very thoughtful of them to include us at all. Yes, uh, exactly. Nine out, of, nine out of ten times they do reboots or... Uh, extensions of shows in hollywood they don't talk to the people that did before because you know the new people have their own vision Mm -hmm. and it was very nice of them and by the way they want to make sure that people understand it's not a rethinking of our old show it's not a another dimension it's a continuation it really is so very much you're supposed to think like okay i watched the first 76 episodes and now a short time later it's picking up with the next episode basically the same cast having the same history as our show and so in that we're really thankful because they could have done almost anything they wanted i mean there's 60 years of x-men stuff out there they could have really gone any direction they wanted and they chose to in effect continue our show i've heard the term used revival would you prefer that or continuation continuation Continuation. is, is more is more precise it really takes up where the last one left off and in terms of introducing, you know, well, and, well, okay. and we can't say anything more. We're, you know, mom's the word. So why don't we go mom, honey? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he gets us in trouble. Yeah. Speaking of Disney, your episodes that you did of the 92 series yeah. are on Disney Plus right now. And just recently, in the last couple of weeks, they've reordered the episodes to be in story order. Yeah. Did you guys have anything to do with that? Did they consult you or did they just do it? Did they tell you at all? We were not informed in advance of the actual reordering of the episodes on Disney Plus. But over the last couple of years, we've tweeted it. We've talked with a couple of folks over at Disney Marvel saying some of the episodes are out of order. It would really mean so much if you could get it back in order. We don't know what prompted it, but we have we've been yelling in the wilderness for a couple of years. And, and telling the people we know at Marvel, you know, it's a, I mean, it's not that many. It was maybe three or four that, that weren't in the right place. But if somebody's new to the show and they're excited and, and they're watching and suddenly a character who was dead the last episode suddenly is not or whatever, it's without explanation. There are a number of episodes that, that were standalones that you could move around a bit and nobody could tell. There was no story issue to them. but. Initially, when Disney Plus got on the air, that even one of the four-parter, Dark Phoenix, was part, you know, one, three, two, four. Yeah. And so, so that that one was pretty obvious that, okay, this is going to drive people crazy trying to watch, trying to stream this and, and see it. And there are a couple others that, I mean, it's not the fault of the channel so much. During production, a couple episodes were production problems and, and were held back like a couple of years. Years. 
in struggling to get them done properly. And one of those was really important because it came just after a four-parter and it was in effect the fifth episode. And so the people that saw it originally saw it out of order. Mm -hmm. And they didn't bother so much on the, the, the disc, the DVDs to get them properly. But so there are three or four that if you were thoughtfully watching, I said, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. And someone caught it finally and said, okay, what? Well, obviously, it didn't take much effort to just shift a couple around. And we listed them in the books, specifically say, guys, watch them in this order, please, because this is the order we wrote them. And they weren't necessarily broadcast that way. They weren't necessarily on the DVDs that way, but this is the proper way to enjoy the series. So we're thrilled that they were finally able to do that. Yeah, it was a wonderful announcement for us to hear that. So growing up, I loved series more of the sci-fi realm, like Star Blazers or Robotech. And I'm still anxiously awaiting a live action adaptation of Robotech, which, I mean, X-Men at least have had live action stuff. I haven't had mine yet, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get there eventually. But they're both really serialized shows, kind of like X-Men, the animated series. Yeah. So other than airing out of order, what were some of the issues that you ran into writing and producing an animated series that was serialized? Well, just that out of the gate. Because originally, absolute from the beginning, the woman in charge at Fox Kids, a woman named Margaret Lesh, who deserves all the credit in the world for everything on Fox Kids, she was determined to make X-Men the animated series. But her own higher-ups thought it was going to flop. So she put her own, she said, if this fails, you can fire me. But they only gave her 13 episodes. So for those 13, it was you and Mark Edens figuring out what those 13 stories could be, if those were the only 13 that were ever going to be told. And, and, she, and she gave us, she took the risks. She took lots of risks. Mm. But there was a real problem back when it took longer to produce shows. And that was everybody, if you remember when you were little, all the shows would premiere in September usually within a week of each other. There'd be, you'd get a big TV guide that said, you know, fall previews, all the new shows are playing. And so animation, which was very labor intensive, I mean, hundreds of thousands of paintings per episode, four months overseas in animation. So if we get something back and it's, you know, a couple of weeks before air date and it's not right, it might take a couple months to fix. So the problem with, in live action, if some, it, the, you know it immediately if something's not right, you can pack a day of, of extra work on and, and get it right that week. But in animation, you're waiting to, to see with, have the animation come back. And so networks are justifiably nervous about having episodes 1 through 13 connected because you know, the first three are fine. There's episode 4 is problematic. You can't show episode 5 for a month. You have to show repeats because... You have to fix episode four before it goes on the air, and you can't understand episode five without episode four. So 99 out of 100 animation shows, certainly ones we worked on, they would never take that risk of having connected stories. That was just too expensive a problem. Yeah. And we actually had that. In one of the reasons uh, X-Men premiered in January instead of September was there was production problems on two or three of the first half dozen episodes yeah. that took... A month and a half to fix. So instead of putting stuff on the air that was looked wrong or the mouths weren't working properly or 
you know, whatever the animation problem. Thousands were, of things that can go wrong. They, she said, I'm waiting till I've got seven or eight of these locked before we premiere. And, and so we're moving it back four months to January. That was a probably a half a million dollar. That was a huge call on her part. Lost the mm-hmm. box, but she wasn't going to show the show until it was right. Half of that problem was that we had shows in order. Otherwise, you could show episode one, two, seven, eight, nine, three, four, and it wouldn't matter. And you could wait. You know, if ones were coming back and they're working well, you could just you know move stuff up. But you can't do it when they're in order. So that's that's the risk in that. And then for the second season, after the glitches that happened in season one, you were kind of given marching orders: no more serialized storytelling. But the way to get around but that and <laughs> continue the sense that the story is ongoing was the Savage Land. And all of that got produced. All that got produced at once at the beginning. So there wouldn't be a problem. So we had a two-parter to open the second season, nine individual episodes, which could be moved around depending on if they were produced well or not. And then a two-parter at the end that resolved the Savage Land problem. So in effect, even though it seems like there's 13 connected, only the first two and the last two really are in order. And the 45-second bits that where you see Professor Xavier and Magneto mm-hmm. trapped in the Savage Land, those progress along the second season. The other nine episodes are interchangeable. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine changing them now because you've seen them in order. But we specifically were told, sorry, you know, if you want to do something connected, you can only do this. But we came up with, the, oh, well, we'll do one minute of each of these episodes, but it's okay, well, we can do that. We can shoot that first. And, and so, because it was shot first, there were episodes where episode A was supposed to come out, but episode B was ready. So you took the, the bit of Savage Land off of A, put it on B, flipped the order, and, and that worked. Yeah. That and, worked at the and time. We, yeah, so it was, that was our trick. In the sec- and after that, the only things that were really actually in order, specific uh, writing order, were multi-parters, like the Phoenix Sagas. Or other, you know, a couple other two parters that we did, but really, only the first season was really written one through thirteen in order. I'm getting a sense that your superpower is really your creativity at production and storytelling. <laughs> <sighs> That's very kind. I'll give him that, though. Uh, trying to keep track of all the time travel stories and keep track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because tra- you know, people ask, how come? You know, I was obviously, I cared very much for this show, and I love writing, and I've worked on dozens of other shows. How can I only have, like, two writing credits out of 76? It wasn't that I wasn't writing constantly on the show. It's just that I was focusing on keeping it all together and organized, and all of that management part, and making sure it all kind of felt like smooth transition. 20 different people got writing credits, including Julia. <laughs> and we had to try to make that writing all feel like it was coming from the same place mm-hmm. and not repeating itself and being fresh, but yet connected. So all those worries and then making the half dozen colleagues who had an interest, you know, the network, Marvel, the production people, making sure all of their worries were taken care of. You know, you get a note back. We'd, we'd toss in a story and we get this frenzied note back for the production people. They say, my God, don't you know that's going to, triple our budget if you leave that seat in can't you do something else so there are lots of people with a stake in the show and my job more was being a diplomat and making sure everybody's needs were met and letting the writers write and only fixing it when i had to so you had diplomatic immunity 
I did. <laughs> well, I don't I could pretend it was the writer's fault, but that, that didn't play very long. So <laughs> it always came back. Yeah. The, you mentioned that the series premiered in January, but there was kind of a sneak peek in Halloween on October 31st, 1992. Yes. Margaret Lesh deserves all the credit in the world for turning lemonades out of the lemon she was handed because she had episodes one and two and four, but episode three was, it just, it was not working. Not working. I mean, production values were crap. So she had to make the very expensive call. They were going to wait for the, that extra episode. But in the meantime, when everybody else is starting in September, and we've got these t- the first two episodes, now the Sentinels locked. I propose to do a sneak peek in primetime on Fox to sort of generate interest. And I thought, she's doing it on Halloween? Is she trying to kill the show? Because how are there going to be kids home watching a cartoon in primetime on Halloween? But there were. But there were. <laughs> and so it really it ended up being those little dribbles, that, and they, they did a, another sneak around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Kids take over Fox, and kids sent in so postcards. So those two sneaks built everybody's excitement for this thing that had been delayed. And they forgot, I don't know if they even know, knew it was delayed, but that built the excitement and then in january when it came out as we said our dumb luck was that everybody else was in repeats right and we were a brand new show so everybody tuned in that was part of the reason it was successful was the fact that production problems forced us to delay for four months so my real question is since it premiered sneak peek on halloween what did you guys dress up as on that <laughs> halloween in 1992 on that Halloween in 1992, I had given birth three weeks earlier, and we had a one-and-a-half-year-old. So it was basically taking the kids up for a very short yes, walk. Yeah. A one-and-a-half-year-old doesn't necessarily get what's going on, but understands there's candy involved. Yeah, yeah the, the, the <laughs> three-and-a-half-week-old was a pumpkin. I remember that. And I, think, I think our older one was a, a little devil. Was, yeah. they, they were whatever the they next, were they were the adorable. next year in 93 uh the oh. older one was wolverine yeah we got a oh. little mini wolverine that was fun. costume so that just think how cool that feels you're writing as a character and kids around america are dressing up as him unbelievable it just to this day looking back it just really just feels so amazing <laughs> i mean it's fun since this was the first time the character voices were brought to screen, because there was no live action or anything before that, were there any attributes of the voices as the seasons went on that you tried to integrate into the characters they voiced after season one? Absolutely. I mean, and you may know if you look at our first book that since the show was so really very different from shows that had come before, it was so much more adult and more dramatic. That the first attempt at casting was really terrible. I mean, they they were being professional about in it in Canada, but they all sounded very cartoony. And because that's what all that's all they did. We and had that's to okay. just kind of stop and yeah. take a few weeks and say, no, 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 we need dramatic voices. So then we found them, and somehow it wasn't just us. I mean, it was the executives and the artists. They all agreed. Oh no, 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 the new voices are right. This is what's in our heads when we read the script. This is what's in our head when we look at the storyboards and the comic books and watch these people interact this way. You've got that Bob Harris story. Oh, yeah, yeah. So nice. Yeah, it's so a cool way to think about that. Is that. This is the first time you hear the voices. The guy that was like 
the walking encyclopedia for us at Marvel Bob, in New York. Bob Harris, uh, Marvel Comics, because Marvel mm-hmm. was a t- small company at the time. Didn't really have production out here. They had their comic books, but they were going through a struggle and they're about to go bankrupt. But Bob was running their three X Men comic lines of comics, so he was the the expert, and he was the one that we would send stories to and scripts to and say, "Are we doing this right? Are we being true to the characters?" Well, Bob went up to the recordings, and he said he had the most surreal experience of his life. He started reading X Men in nineteen. 19- 63 when he was little and he'd read them for what would that would be 29 years and he'd been living with them and they were internalized but he'd realized he just kind of at a mat you know until you hear a voice it's not really concrete and he's there watching these actors doing x-men lines and suddenly it's alive and human and he said it was this he said the, the hair went back on the back of his neck when it just how surreal it was to have the, the things that he'd been hearing all his life, the people he'd been hearing all his life, suddenly come to life. I wasn't a big X-Men guy, so that didn't happen to me. But for Bob, it was a life changer to suddenly hear actors speaking these people. And I think it's um, high praise to the voice actors, too, that anytime I see any kind of X-Men imagery, those are the voices I hear in my head. We got a billion dollar film franchise, but I still hear the animated series voices in my head. Something that the series did very well that Michelle keeps on pointing out, and we talk about it as we're doing a, a watch through right now, we're in the, at the start of season four right now, is the social issues that were covered. I keep saying that the show is supposed to be a warning and not a playbook. Uh, so what do you think of some of the moments such as the friends of humanity throwing things in court in the quarantine in days of future past still being relevant now i will occasionally we've only recently started going to cons and festivals because we're not artists we can't do a voice for you but with the books that's given us a chance to go out and and really meet some folks who love the show because we work out of a home office we didn't have that experience but sometimes i'll go Okay, all of you guys who grew up on this show, did we teach you nothing? The world is in chaos. <laughs> this was, that was a teaching opportunity. Why are we still having these problems? Which is just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's funny. It's so much a part of its time. Um, I mean, you know, the Rodney King riots were happening when we were writing season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the AIDS epidemic. The AIDS epidemic when we were just getting botched. over that. Uh, or you know, it just peaked and we were starting to handle that finally. So all those things were relevant, and it just, I think, it points to the fact that we tried to write as realistic human beings and realistic society as we could, as opposed to, you know, something fun and entertaining. We just tried to make these real adult people with real adult problems mm-hmm. and imagine our place, ourselves in their place. What would we do if we were confronted with being this different and this conspicuously different? It made the writing more fun for us to think that way but i think what it did was also you know we bring up all these moral questions or all the political issues and it wasn't so much thinking that we'd solve something but showing okay well here's human nature on display and you hope for the best and if you're telling moral tales you definitely have a position but it was the only way we knew how to storytell and it is a shame that things haven't just 
evolved easily. You know, I think they've evolved, but I don't think they've evolved easily. And, you know, three steps forward, two steps back. So that's fascinating to talk to the young, the, the young writers on the new show about. They're, they're, they're lasered in on that. They're maybe. lasered in on that. And they say, okay, well, you maybe thought you had some stuff handled in the 90s. Well, it's 2022 now, <laughs> and we're dealing with a whole new version of that. Yeah. And we're going to address that in our show. That was fascinating, seeing them you know, growing up thinking, oh, well, maybe we've learned something from our heroes in the show. And, well, now looking around and saying, well, maybe it doesn't necessarily save the world. It just informs your ability to see the world. In 1992, she still doesn't have a name, but the president of the United States was a female. And she wasn't on very long, but hey, if you grew up watching the show, okay, it female president's part of that. Seems okay. plausible, seems slightly futuristic, but seems plausible. <laughs> and then 2016 happened, and oh my F Lord, that, yeah, that really, but that day may come in real life, we hope so. I mean, we hope the best person remains, becomes whatever is president regardless of gender or anything else but again it's been 30 years and it wasn't a big deal it was just the president happens to be female keep telling your stories and there was okay. people ask us about it was, there was kind of hidden feminism from the primarily male writing team but some gals in there well it certainly wasn't conscious i think it really helped that our boss was a woman our censor was a woman and we just looked at the X-Men as superheroes as opposed to being concerned about their gender. And so when mm -hmm. we picked eight to be as different as they could, it happened. It was four and four. And it was nice that it was a natural, you know, mixing of people. And, mm -hmm. and we and Marvel just wanted to have a group that were, were as different from each other as possible. So and that, powers wise. And powers well. and powers were different and personalities were different mm -hmm. and histories were different. But it happened at a four and four. And looking back, that was, it was weirdly groundbreaking because we, yeah. we'd go to shows even after this, after X Men was so successful. And they look at us and say, ah, no, you know, you got seven, you know, give us six guys and a, and a smart fat. Yeah. And because they just aren't used to action adventure heroes being female, either, I don't know, from storytelling point of view or, toy sales who knows what's in the back of their minds when they make those decisions but we've been actually told you know scale back you know if you split it 50 50 make it 80 20 huh. and that's well, obviously we didn't get that an x-men because our boss our boss was a woman and a smart one and she knew the books and she loved them so yeah, yeah. and give marvel credit i mean they they were not you know, if they came up with a cool new character and happened to be female they'd Play her out like crazy. They were just interested in who made good stories and who mm -hmm. sold comics. I didn't get a sense from talking to them that they had, you know, any sort of gender ag gender agenda. Oh Lord, say that three say times that, fast. Yeah. Speaking about you know all the female characters, one of the things I've noticed is that multiple, many, almost most of them pass the Betchel test, which is awesome. Is this something that you are hoping or expecting? the creative team of X-Men 97 to do? Well, again, it's been 30 years since the first episode. It's like, have you learned nothing? Yeah. <laughs> we, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they will. No, we, they, they, yeah. And uh, part, partly it is because they're starting with our team. And so it's not like they're recasting. And I, interesting, you make a point about that test. 
we thought one of the things we love a lot about the movies about i mean imagine you know you work on this show for five years and then you see oh they're, they're gonna do a 200 million dollar movie that was patrick stewart in oh my god it. you know so i thought in the first film or two i thought they were struggling to find out what to do with the women that you know storm didn't really have anything to do in the first movie and rogue was just kind of a victim and so suddenly what had been balanced in terms of leadership and powers in our show suddenly was very unbalanced in the first movie and i don't know if i don't think that was intentional i just think when they're telling the story whoever was involved in the many 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 revisions of that story just didn't quite have a handle on what to do with the female characters so it is something that can be lost and they could lose it on 97 but they're not going to believe me from what we've seen they really they understand what we did in the show and they love it and respect it and so they are not going to you know return the the, the women to being accessories to the men and building up on the representation of women with success of black panther and the disney plus show miss marvel and the film captain marvel do you hope the new show takes the opportunity to explore characters cultures and incorporate them you know organically in the show i know in your run it happened a bit with storm yeah i guarantee the folks working on a new x-men 97 they can quote us chapter and verse on each of the characters and what they can do with them what they can't do with them i have utter confidence that it's the same feeling for the characters it's the same love for this group of found family members who wouldn't necessarily stick together if they all walk past each other on the street but if for various reasons come together and are now this unbreakable team but i think they also being 30 years later and after all that we've gone through oh, yes i think they are more aware of these issues and say some of the personal background like we never spent much time we basically thought of jubilee as a very young orphan we didn't think of her as being half asian and so so i think or wholly asian i think but anyway yeah she's so she, uh, I know that they will dig deeper into things like character background than we necessarily had a chance to do. We just, we had a lot, 30 years of comic books to dig around in and some places to touch, but there were elements of their lives, their personal lives that we just really never, never didn't get a chance to explore. And I, I think they will. In defense of the original series episodes, looking back, it was, a challenge to service a team with eight members and like the den mother in the form of professor xavier trying to give each one of those characters good solid strong stories it was like a lot of balls juggling in the air unlike say batman where it's batman and the universe of the villains against him you know x-men i'm not going to say there wasn't time but it, just trying to get the stories out and and keep the team accounted for was a big deal in trying to make sure everyone got serviced in legitimate ways and there at that moment did not include some of the background on some of the characters and i'm hopeful confident that they will explore that too i always thought wait a second jubilee is a foster child in the foster care system and has been taken into the xavier mansion i really thought that you know her own background as a foster kid in america could have there are stories we didn't get to tell but hopefully they'll explore those kinds of things, for example, in the future. 
what a lot of my friends and a lot of the younger writers writing X-Men comics now, what really got them into it is this sense of found family and knowing that it doesn't matter who you came into the world with. It matters who you have to take care of you now. And so what was it that really drew that theme over and over into these stories in the show for you? I just, I think it's more powerful emotionally than anything else that you could throw out there. I mean, certainly you start with this idea that these folks don't fit in other places and there are issues with them fitting in with the dominant culture. But week in and week out, what binds them together and makes you care about them that much more and care about seeing next week to see what happens to them is this sense that these are eight very different people with very different backgrounds and cultures and personal histories that suddenly care about each other in a way that is because they've they've created this family. Uh And that's just, I think that goes through a lot of the best television and storytelling. I mean, people love The Godfather, not because they like criminals, but because there's a sense of family among these people that they would do anything to help each other and without that it's you know it's a bunch of thugs shooting each other so i just think it's such a powerful human storytelling device that we were all aware of it and it bubbled up and it just when you're doing an action cartoon and you're trying to put people in jeopardy which is hard when the people are this strong actually getting them in real jeopardy it's difficult when you're throwing heroes in jeopardy then you're you're creating the rest of the team their caring for the person in jeopardy just leaps out you know all the more and it, you realize i mean some of these people leave the team in disgust and their their hearts are broken they're, they're about to give up and then you know an episode or two later they come back because they realize this is the center of their life and that i don't think it was intentional i just think it's when you're given, in effect, a household mm-hmm. of, of people, uh, then they look out for each other. And that, that makes for stronger storytelling. I'm petting my dog over here, by the way, and he's making my chair spin around. So I apologize. Yeah. What kind of dog do you have? He looks to be German Shepherd. He, we, he looks to be well, he's a German Shepherd, we think. We got him through a rescue, but he's a big, sweet boy. How long have you had him? One year in July. Yeah. Yeah, he came as a grown-up, so. What's his name? He came with the name Jethro. So From, and from the Beverly Hillbillies, we believe. <laughs> yeah. We assume. We assume. Yeah. So, yeah. Big sweet guy, so it fits. We have pets that make cameos in our podcast oh, okay. all the time. Just to the point of the found family thing, as a writer on the show, it was never who's going to have the biggest power explosion thing this week. It was always what is the human story for this character or these characters, what is the emotional core? They happen to have superpowers, but that wasn't what the storytelling was about, if that makes sense. It does. So you mentioned that you're consultants basically on the new X-Men series, and you can't talk a lot about that. But I do want to ask you, what are the differences that you've seen so far between making a series for linear TV, you know, streamed on television or broadcasts on television versus making it for a streaming service. Are there any differences that you've seen? Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to say less to that point, but to the point of how 
the industry itself has changed since the end of X-Men, the animated series. Good Lord, they got a lot of bells and whistles these days just to make animation computers. For goodness sakes, we're talking to you on a computer and it's going out live into the or recording it for the universe. The production of animation has changed so dramatically with the computer aided design and all these things that that's happening. And we got to be the grumpy old folks and say, how much time do you have? Have you spent developing this show? How many weeks and months? Whoa. Like yeah. Monty Python, we didn't have weeks or months. <laughs> yeah. We slept in a hole in the ground and we were happy. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think they're more aware than we were about thinking about the ends of episodes as cliffhangers. I mean, when we had multi-parters, we were very, we were absolutely aware of that. Uh, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Whereas if we had just had six or seven random episodes in a row, we just would resolve the story. And then pick up another story next time, and there was no sense of urgency and telling the audience, "Oh, well, they got to come back next time, or, or they won't know what's going to happen." We resolved fifty, sixty of our seventy-six episodes, you know, just at the end of the episode. Whereas now, when they're, as you, you say, they've got two seasons, you know, they, they greenlit the second season already. Announced it at San Diego Comic Con. So the people that are overseeing this, and they're all, and they are, they are very much connected in a way that we were not able to do after the first season. So you've got people looking at however many that become. I don't know if they've told how many is per season, but that's lots, lots and lots and lots and lots of episodes and character arcs. And each one, I think, is more aware of its cliffhanger going into the next episode to be hooked and going on and on and on to go through the entire season than we were. It wasn't something that when we weren't streaming was really that much of an issue. And I also think that they probably could get away with a little more, not, you know, last time you remember, or, you know, previously not, yeah, on, not, not touching base as much that they can zip into the next episode because they figure that, Oh, half their audience is watching these in order without pausing. So I think we sometimes took a care to make, double sure people remembered something for the previous one, or we have, you know, had the, the previously on, just so people wouldn't lose track of things. And, and we were also warned, since we were making it for kids, people kept saying, oh, your shows are, it's way too adult and way too complicated. They won't remember, you know, who's got what power and who needs what to whom, which is just silly. The kids remember <laughs> all this stuff in spades. But we, I think, had to do more to remind people what came before. I think, I guess, if you're if you think a lot of people are going to be streaming this, you certainly don't want to be repetitive. You certainly don't want to, okay, well, I just saw that 30 minutes ago and I went up and, you know, I got my sandwich and now we're seeing a similar scene again. We would have a week in between and I think it was a little easier for us to not think that way. But yeah, I, I think it speeds up the storytelling a little bit to have it streaming. And let me just put this out into the ether because hey disney reordered the sequence of, of the episode so that happened wouldn't it be awesome if they chose to roll out x-men 97 on saturday morning for those of us of a certain age saturday morning with that bowl of cereal or that pop tart in front of the tv oh my gosh that would be a delightful 90s throwback but we don't. being a continuation of the show can you really have X-Men 97 without any sort of previously on X-Men. Gotta be. There's gotta be. We'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah. 
Yeah. I am terrified. I am terrified. <laughs> Chris is really intent on the previously on because as we're covering X-Men, the animated series, we do a previously on to help people along the way with our discussion. Sure. So he's really interested in learning tips and tricks on how to put together a really good previously on. Oh, I wish we had her here. Sharon Janice. Sharon Janice. Sharon, yeah. ja- Sharon Janice. Who was the editor for the first four seasons. So I mean, you know, 80% of the shows she was the primary video editor on mm-hmm. and she put those together and she had done those for prime time before this. So she had a real feel for what 30 to 60 seconds worth of material could catch you up. And it was, it's a real art because, you know, Europe is, Europe is up 45. If this episode is more say storm focused, you might have to go back through and find out, you know, storm tidbits from, two seasons ago that might help set up this new storm story better. And she was really good at that. It wasn't just, Oh, what did we see last week? It was very much, okay. I understand what this new episode is. What bits do I pick to get people up to speed to they, when they start this new story, they've been reminded of the highlights of the past three or four years. And again, to give a shout out to Sharon Janice, there was a lot of pushback about coming up with a previously on X-Men clip to kick off most of the episodes. She then pointed out to them, well, I'm using animation that you've already animated. This is not 45 seconds of new stuff. So you're saving money there. And that's what they, okay. All right, fine. You, you do that then. So. Yeah, no, she was, she was really good at it. Mm-hmm. We can't take no credit mm-hmm. for that. Didn't do a thing with it. It was all her doing. Hear that, Chris? 30 to 60 seconds. Got it. i've been good on the time but i've also mostly been pulling clips of what sounds really funny out of context (laughs) there'd be a lot of that there i'm sure for the picking (laughs) so what's been the biggest challenge you've had going from your roles as a lead producer and and writer to being consultants What, what are the challenges that you've had to run into there that's interesting the lead producer was all it was just all consuming. I mean, it literally, when we when we were in the middle of when it wasn't a break in production, when we were in the middle of a show seven days a week, and we just we'd take a half day or a third day when we could, you know, to, to hang with the family. Yeah. But it very much was, you know, we didn't take vacations. It was we've got the responsibility for these thirteen or these twenty six episodes, and focused, 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 and very much just concerned with every single detail of what's in every 40 page script and looking at the storyboards to make sure that they're reflecting what we wrote and that, you know, we're communicating well with the, with artists Mm -hmm. and listening to the tapes and making sure that we've communicated properly to the cast, all these things, all these details, it just becomes your entire life. Whereas consulting, we've got much, younger people with much a lot more energy doing that putting the 60 80 hour weeks and we can look at an animatic uh, you know a, a simple rough version of what they've done and say oh well i'm not sure i would have done quite that way or would the character really react this way yeah. those, those kinds of questions knowing knowing that they are on top of everything yes. and it's their decision we're just there they maybe make see something with fresh eyes which is one fiftieth the work of of actually building a show. 
So in that way, it's much less demanding, but it's still, it's a little frustrating. You, you get into it and you start imagining, well, you know, if I was running the show and you got to stop yourself <laughs> yeah. because it's not our show. No. I mean, we're here to help, yes. but it's there, you know, it's theirs. Bodemayo is, it's, you know, he's the oh, showrunner, he's a great guy. Great. And we've seen, you know, what he's got laid out for. La, 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 for, for la, the la, la. Yeah. No trust here. <laughs> no trust whatsoever. This is being recorded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but in any case, so we, we see that. And so our position more is just if we get a great idea, something you might use, we get to it, we see a red flag. But it's much gentler a job than just being jumping in the deep end and spending nine months straight not thinking of anything else. And it has afforded us a certain luxury time-wise to keep working on writing just for different shows and different arenas. Or doing the books. Or, or writing the books. You know, that, that was, yeah, was has a, been fun. Or walking Jethro. <laughs> God, if we, yeah. it's, like, it's like water skiing with him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're working on that. We're working on that. I've got a 90-pound golden retriever, so uh -huh. I have to take him on a five-mile walk every day. Otherwise, he tears up the house. So I completely understand. German Shepherd's very similar energy-wise. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And also... Since you're involved in the show now, is it kind of like going back to your 25th high school reunion? <laughs> you know, it, that's the beauty of animation is that the voice talent can remain the voice talent. I mean, The Simpsons has been running, what, 32 years now or some insane number. Yeah. But then to, to hear their voices again, we've gotten to know Lenore Zan, who was our rogue, and, and other voice actors. In fact, we just saw uh, Lenore at San Diego Comic-Con. And she will be back on the new X-Men 97. And it was, you're right, it was like a reunion, but it was also like starting graduate school. You know, a whole bunch of cool stuff happening, a whole bunch of cool people involved. Yeah, um, and curious how this new twist is going to happen, because they're not redoing it. They're taking the same people and giving them new, new adventures. Yeah. And so in that way, there's a curiosity, there's sure. a curiosity to it. But it, obviously, it's incredibly gratifying that... There's the interest out there oh my God. to continue doing the stories. And that's, that's not something that we get. You know, we've worked on dozens and dozens of shows out here. It's just the way if you're out here long enough, you, you work for just about everybody in town. And it's really rare that one comes together like this show that came together. And that it's humbling at the same yeah. time because you realize, well, I thought I worked pretty hard on those other dozen shows. But <laughs> they didn't work out quite as well. Well, there just was something magic about this. and. That's tough on them. There's all these fans out there, and you know they're going to be expecting similar magic. And boy, that's tough. We didn't have any expectation when we hired to do the first step series uh, for season. For season, Hollywood didn't think it was going to be successful. We were all let go as soon as we wrote the first season. Ah! As soon as artists drew it, they were let go. Just okay. Well, let's see if this plays or not. Yeah, because they assumed eh. it was going to flop. Yeah, and so in that way, there's no internet. There were, was social media. There were 10 million fans curious about what we were going to do with the next story and maybe angry if we didn't do it quite right. So none of that pressure. We just got to do the show we wanted to do yeah. with the given these characters in this world. And that ended up being just this, this incredible gift to us. So the people doing the new show have much bigger budgets and, and much longer time to work on it. But they also have many more pressures on them yes. than we had when we're creating something in effect out of scratch from scratch. Yeah. 
So you guys bring up Lenore, you bring up the internet. A certain portion of the internet kind of went crazy when they saw Lenore playing Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Oh, that was so great! Yeah, wasn't that so, fun? When are we going to see video of you guys played on that beautiful six-player X-Men cabinet? <laughs> oh. Well, if someone wants to drop it off at our front door, we, we could give it a yeah. good home. <laughs> and just, just not many people realize this. We have split loyalties in that video game because the first season of uh, Street Fighter, we, we were the story editors on that. We, so, we, we ran the show on the first season. So we know those characters yes. as well. And <laughs> they're not, obviously, we don't know them as well, but we have a stake in both houses. Yeah. Who do we choose? Who do we choose? Yeah. <laughs> All of them. You're proud of both of your children and you move on. There you go. There you go. So what are your thoughts recently this year of the use of the X-Men theme and characters, quite frankly, in Doctor Strange and Ms. Marvel now? Oh, yeah. Wow. We, we, wow. Great wow. Fun. Wow. We, wow. Great fun. And we just assume there's, you know, master plan. There's some sort of Bond villain island versus <laughs> with thousands and thousands of Marvel employees looking at, you know, planning all this stuff. You know, little detail here, little detail there, because everyone's asking what's going to be like when the X Men get integrated into the MCU. And I, I look at them and shake my head. So I couldn't keep track of just the people in the X Men universe, much less integrating all of those. <laughs> so I don't wish that on anybody. But obviously, there is a master plan of this, and these little tidbits are driving the fans crazy, which is great, which is good, which is good showmanship. Mm -hmm. And it just to us, it's just it's a signal that they've got plans for the X Men, and that's what that means to us. And so that was until we started hearing those little those little music pieces. Yeah, you know, you're not sure. You're not are they going to get the rights back together? Or the, you know, what are they planning? Are they going to do any anim more animation? Because fans would ask us that when we yeah. go to cons as well. Are you going to do another show? Said, well, it's not up to us. You know, so we hope they do. We think they should. But those kind of teases indicate, oh, yeah, they're, they're all in on this. They're, they've got big plans for the X-Men, and they're just letting us know a little bit at a time and driving us crazy. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know anything, obviously, but I've been speculating that Kevin Feige doesn't really have any plans for mutants until like phase seven, which hasn't even been announced yet. So that's the type of long burn I'm thinking Disney slash Marvel Studios is taking on this. They can do it. And goodness knows they have come up with some excellent stuff on Disney Plus and, and, and the, in, in yeah. the features too. I mean, it's, it's an, it, yeah, I can't keep it straight. It's remarkable what they've been able to do. Yeah. And the thing, the thing in the Dr. Strange trailer where, oh my where, God. where it's, where it's Xavier's voice, but it's from the movies, but it's his green suited green arm. suit and yellow hover chair oh my God. from the animated show yeah so that just was a tip oh okay they're gonna do something with the animated show i mean that just was those are the little clues we're looking for they're tossing to us but we were not warned about that and uh, we actually responded you know, to that and, and and we're on social media that day saying oh look cool oh it's it's the animated xavier on in, in, in the new trailer. trailer for the show for the movie. and we got an note back saying oh look don't assume that. Well, oh, okay. You know, that's what All it right. was. And that's what it ended up being. But uh, yeah. the Marvel snipers are after you guys, too. Boy, huh? howdy. Boy, howdy. 
So Eric, you have a lifetime of telling stories, of learning how to tell stories, and you went to college with uh, film studies. In Tennessee, in Tennessee, fifty yeah, years ago, when that was not yeah. a when that was not common in universities and colleges to have film but, programs. But anyway, yes, yeah. What kind of intense heroic stories really inspired you as you were growing up and learning how to tell stories? Ah, uh, geez, but it really heroism was a big part of it, and the idea of heroic sacrifice. <laughs> not so much. I didn't care for easy younger say action stuff where nobody's hair got must and they were just having fun fighting each other that never really grabbed me but but i think if, if you look if you got my first book you know my, my father was uh would tell me you know like old myths you know greek and scandinavian myths at bedtime some pretty intense ones pretty adult ones but you know not even caring so much about how young i was but just big heroic stuff he was he was born in europe he was a war refugee there was a certain gravitas to his life and he was a professor at a college yeah the, university. You know, the, coming here to the u.s and and finding a life and having our having a family after being through all that so there was that certain seriousness to his life and then just there was something about westerns war movies historical dramas where where there was a lot at stake and people would be given tough alternatives and they'd choose the right thing and often die because of it or or have a great personal loss because of right, it yeah and those things got to me in a way and i think we kind of lost that the last 20 years or so you know nobody seems to ever die or sacrifice or it's not just happy endings it's seems to be kind of consequenceless endings to things and i'm i kind of missed it from old-fashioned storytelling julie i'm not going to let you off the hook here you have expressed an interest in baking what is oh your favorite thing to bake oh wow no oh, baking is my happy place i just i know the god's honest truth is a few few years back i was diagnosed with celiac disease so suddenly i can't use flour it's like what but so finding alternatives finding um there's a whole world out there for people like me who live with someone like you and we find our happy compromises when I can use almond flour and it tastes really good in something. What you asked though, <laughs> my, my mother passed years ago, but I have her cookie recipe. That's a meringue recipe. So I can make that with no gluten issues. And it's about my mom. So, so there you go. Yeah. My family has my grandma's carrot cake. That's been passed along and because people are like it uses pineapple why does it use pineapples like that's what grandma put in it so there you go yeah i understand yeah yeah just a connection sort of through line yeah a way to way to have those moments again eric you've mentioned in the past that you got your first comic books from i believe it was an english teacher at <laughs> in, in school i believe and and you stole them basically from oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. Uh, her son in seventh seventh grade in knoxville tennessee uh this wonderful this very nice lady actually was a health teacher whose name escapes me at the moment but but we for whatever reason we had had our final like on a Monday and we had four days left, you know, before the end of school. 
And so she just let us, she brought her son's huge box of comics. So we read comic books for the hour just to get through it. And I, yeah, I lifted six or seven. I mean, they were like 60s Spider-Man and 60s Fantastic Four. And I felt terrible <laughs> later thinking about it. It's just, this one was so nice. She brings a couple hundred comic books to the school so that we can have a nice last week while we're doing finals for other classes. And I stole six of them. But, but yeah, that was what got, I didn't have a lot of money. And that's kind of what got the, even though they were only like 15 cents back then, but that kind of got the uh, collection started was her son's generosity. I had to go back into my cabinet and find my first comic, uh, which is a number one issue of Battlestar Galactica, a big sci-fi guy, right? Cool. I didn't even remember I had this until recently when I started to uh, organize my collection this past year. Okay. So I do have my first comic uh, readily available and it's not in good condition, right? It's not near mint or anything, but it's special to me. So sure. it's oh. going to find a nice place to display. Also, Eric, I've heard that you have a Deadpool number one issue somewhere. Uh, two of them. And just to let you know, I looked them up and they're worth at least about 400 bucks. So. Wow. Because they are, they're, oh my God. well, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure what, you know, mint beads unbreathed upon, but they just grabbed the guys at Marvel, handed it to me. Here's a, you know, check out this new book we've got. When, when you, you were in New York, right? You yeah, went we're to New, New York. Yeah, we went to New York for a couple of days and, and, and sat down with the comic book people. After we'd done two seasons, say, okay, seasons three through five, let's talk about some different kind of stories we might take. And he handed me, I think he handed Larry a couple as well. I just put them in a folder and <laughs> put them in my briefcase and put them in a filing cabinet when I got home, never opened them. So they're both unread. I mean, I don't know how well they were handled before they were handed to me, but they were seemed brand new. But they came from the source. Yeah. yeah so, so yes, I have, I've got, I've got two of those. I, I found them in a, uh, whatever, whatever, you know, episode it was that we were working on when we got handed that I, it's in that folder. So <laughs> they're there. And, uh, yeah, that's they just created 400. I'll, I'll, I'll have maybe have to get maybe have to lose one of them <laughs> and, and, and keep the other. Maybe get Ryan Reynolds to sign it. Oh, yeah, like we can just call Ryan, yeah, Reynolds like we're, that, we're, we're tight like that. But yeah, that was that was it was just was it was a new uh character, and I, I think Larry liked the design, so Larry put him in uh in Dark Phoenix, put him in uh just in a fever dream that Xavier had uh -huh. again without permission, but uh. <laughs> Easter egg. But those are just you know fun things we did. I admit that I had, didn't open them, so I, I've certainly since learned to love the, the movies. But that's true. We got the Deadpool. But okay. yeah, Deadpool number one. So Eric, you were one of the key people in college in charge of your film club, yes. I believe. Absolutely. What were your, some of your favorite titles that you showed? Oh, geez, uh, really weird, obscure stuff. Because it, it's it's hard to think back into the seventies, which is when that was. It was before VHS became even, you know, before home video kicked up in so that people would have access to obscure movies. So all you really had was, you know, the dozen movies that were playing at the first run theaters and nothing else except for at colleges. Colleges would, this secondary uh, market, you'd get 16 millimeter prints or sometimes we had better ones, but 
it was this non-theatrical market they called it and we programmed like 180 movies a year at our college and it was great because we got to see all these old 30s john ford movies obscure 50s and 60s foreign movies one of my favorites called eyes without a face which is a french horror story about a a broken-hearted plastic surgeon who's trying to you know cut the faces off of innocent young women to restore his wife's daughter daughters you're right yeah his daughter's beauty so anyway we would pick a old Sam Fuller movies like Naked Kiss and just stuff that never would come close to ever playing in a first-run theater in the 70s in our town. And it was a cool time for that because people were just discovering this great legacy of American movies from back to the silent era. Buster Keaton was like an absolute favorite. We showed two-thirds of his stuff. And we even made sure... If you watch sometimes, you know, silent movies, they're playing too fast, and so they don't seem very real. But we had an adjustable projector, so we actually showed them at the right speed. And they were stunning. They were beautiful. Um, and this was old-fashioned film that they would send you yeah, in yeah, real cases? You know, reels, either of 16 or 35 millimeter film. And we had one, two different auditoriums, one with each kind of projector in it. And we'd show movies, and it was great. Obviously, it was how I I did my, you know, I learned the world out there because otherwise, watching Saturday Night Fever, you know, current movies were cool and I enjoyed them and we didn't miss them. But but there's like not having a library suddenly before home video, you'd hope to watch a movie at three o'clock in the morning on a TV channel that maybe had 20 minutes cut out of it. That's what's kind of the standard. If you could see an old movie at all, yeah. you might see a boulderized version of it on the late show. But programming for the college, you got to see all this whole world of cinema, and you got to help choose it. It's very much like the Senate. 30 different people arguing, and no, we need this Paul movie. No, we need this Ingmar Bergman movie. And you create deals. Well, I'll vote for yours if you vote for mine. and so. It was my favorite part of of college was the uh, programming movies for the college. So, Julia, what are some of your literary or artistic inspirations? Um, just author, author, authors, authors, or <laughs> yeah, whatever inspires you. Well, let me just say, I I love to read. I love to read, and I love to read as a younger person. And I always thought I was a little too hip for the room in junior high when I was reading books that we had in the family, like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, just because it was written by a woman, and it's an amazing story. Also, Laura Ingalls Wilder with Little House Books was, I love those. I was at the right age to read those. I know there's issues now with that, but that was something that had a major impact on me in terms of telling a story. And then you've got your classics. You've got your Jane Austens. I'm, somehow I'm mentioning all female writers right now. But just reading anything on the human condition can always help with different ways of looking at things or different insights. Yeah, if that answers that. And I'm assuming that if you're going to continue to be connected with animation, you have to kind of sit around and watch cartoons yourself. So on Disney Plus, what are your favorite non-Marvel, not 
anything that you personally worked on shows just on Disney watch. Plus, on, on on Disney Disney Plus. Plus. or just or just of all time, or you're just saying on any channel because there's a lot of channels now. Well, let's stick with Disney Plus just in the theme of our show. All right, you got to cut a lot of things out somehow. We'll make it a little easier for you. Fair enough. I'll say this about X Men being on Disney Plus. We've received word that the numbers for the folks watching X Men the Animated Series are really high for this kind of streaming service. And I think that helped sort of show Disney that there was still a fan base out there for X Men the Animated Series stories. So we'll see where that goes. Golly, I don't mean to be put on the spot. It's just hard to it's, it's hard, hard to remember what's what's yeah. what's on and what's off because like we Blitz Rick and Morty, which was great fun. <laughs> uh, but I don't even I don't even know if that's on, on the channel. And then there's all the features, you know, oh like the Pixar features God. like up. And you know, soul and you know yeah, the, the animated features are there's, remarkable. There's so much to watch. I mean, we could spend the rest of our lives and not catch up on all of it. But <laughs> the early stuff when I was growing up, the, the I was not I have friends that are big Disney files that loved all you know, all the Disney features like crazy and wanted to be animators because of them, that sort of thing. Uh, but that didn't grab me as a kid. What grabbed me was this smart-ass Warner Brothers cartoons ah! and the smart-ass Popeye cartoons and the Fleischer cartoons and then getting into the 50s uh, Bullwinkle. So there's, there's a theme here, <laughs> kind of progression here, where these people are writing what looking back are some pretty adult things oh, going yeah. into these cartoons there's stuff in the warner the warner brothers cartoons it's just hilarious these people all wrote for each other and just those things last forever and again it was the characters in them it wasn't so much you know again i guess for the artists it was oh my god look at the design in snow white well or look at the moon you know look at the animation uh, and uh you know uh, fantasia to me it was daffy duck interacting with bugs bunny it was that it wasn't how well they were animated sometimes it was sometimes it was just so over the top of some tex avery stuff that it was it was unavoidable how cool it was but i think nine out of the ten memories are dialogue memories and character memories from those cartoons well, I hate to tell you that you're wrong, but the correct answer is DuckTales. Uh, that's the that's uh, one of two shows I did not, not DuckTales. Yeah, yeah. yeah, one of two shows at Disney for the afternoon that I did not work on. Uh, Darkwing Duck, yes, but not DuckTales. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, she, she wrote 14 Chippendales. So Chippendale. we watched the recent Chippendale movie, Chippendale. which we both really liked. Thought they did a really fun job with it. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I wrote, I wrote four, she wrote 14. Ah. <laughs> uh. If you have time and you enjoy found family, I suggest the Owl House. Oh, I've been hearing wonderful things about that. Yeah. Okay. That's, thank you for that. That would be. It, it's so hard to keep track. I mean, there's I, so geez. there's so much. There's live act. There's, there's new movies. There's new se- live action series, mm-hmm. and we enjoy all of those. Just, I think we're going to burst with all the incredible television that we're being offered. It's just. Yeah, yeah. I'm a teacher. So for my students, like they're talking to me about like the other X-Men or they're discovering Smallville. And for them, I have to realize, you know, for them, everything's new. 
Mm-hmm. Everything's new. And so sometimes they don't understand. It's like, Miss Ely, this, this show Smallville, why is it, how come it's paced like this? And I'm having to explain to them, well, it came on during here. It was before the MCU and before this. And, and it's very interesting talking to them about what they've grown up with. And have you noticed any of that with like your interaction with? Oh yeah, like, with, our, with our kids, our kids, for yeah. instance, loved, loved Smallville. They, they, yeah. loved, they were, liked our show as well, but they had, they would come to us with stuff. And our niece in particular is a crazed anime person. So she would have obscure animes that she would find somewhere on the web you know that uh that she'd show to us so it is fun seeing what excites you know new generations of people on television and we kind of weren't aware of it while we were doing the show because the kids were fairly young and but you know they would come to us afterwards mom dad you don't understand all of our friends are watching your show which was our first real fan interaction wasn't it was it at at cons because we hadn't thought to go to them yet but was our seven and eight year old yep. telling us that the other seven and eight year olds are all you know running home to watch the show on saturday did those other seven and eight year olds know that it was their friends mom and dad i don't know what if our boys lorded it over their friends like that but but their friends know they, they would hang around here yeah they so, come hang in the office yeah so and i'm not quite sure what they thought the writers did on a cartoon you know so yeah. it's just it was a cool show and you know fun job so that it's about as far as it went. Yeah. So, Eric, I know you consulted on X-Men, the original movie. Yeah. So you've at least had that involvement, but there's been a lot of Marvel movies since then. Do you happen to have a favorite? Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, it just shows, again, kind of a darker, more serious side for me. Uh, Logan was really got me. I, I yeah. That one... Uh, and. and our dear friend Len Wein, who co-created Wolverine, saw it and was really touched by it he, shortly before he passed. Yeah. So, yeah, Logan, of the, all the X-Men movies, I think maybe the one first class when we first see the younger group, I always was fascinated with what all these characters were like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, or you know, Charles, when he was young, uh, how they grew into the people that they are today. So that one of the many many x-men movies kind of grabbed me um let me jump in and the live action stuff on disney plus moon knight was remarkable i thought it's kind of it's kind of fun uh, binging hits me differently i love binging but i also remember what it was like to have to wait for a new episode of a show to come on a week later but again just watching the, the more current stuff moon knight i thought was remarkable and i'm with you on logan logan was it was a beautiful capper to what had been 17 years or 25 years depending if you watch the animated series growing up and then you start watching the films to have it wrapped that way yeah yeah it's, it's weird it's, i mean i can make a connection here with the chip and dale movie oddly but in both logan and chip and dale movie it's like now it's later you're seeing these characters who were part of something but they're real people and now they're older and they're failing and they're they're retired and they're but you're treating these comic book characters or animated characters as real adult human beings that you know as friends or neighbors. And that, you know, when people are able to write that, I find that more exciting than a lot of the bigger spectacle in some of the movies. 
So I'm going to ask you both this, this final question, and it's to help people that want to get involved in the industry. So if you were mentoring a junior in high school, and I think that's probably about the appropriate age that wanted to enter the industry today, what would you tell them? Well, let me ask the question, what do they want to do in the industry? Do they aspire to be a writer? Do they aspire to be a director or a producer? Or do they want to go be an extra on a movie set? The the industry is, or an artist, you know, depending on what they would want to do, I would encourage them to uh, check out what do you like? You know, what, what about that appeal to you in terms of you being the viewer of something? If you want to write for anything, you need to write. <laughs> if you want to draw for anything, you need to draw. You know, and if you're a young person in high, you know, in school, well, start writing, start drawing. Yeah, there's, there, there's so much. I mean, I, the word easier is cruel. Yeah, but, yeah. But. <laughs> but, but when we were young and say we were excited about movies, well, movies were something foreign, like, like saying, well, I'd like to be an astronaut. Yes, it yes. It was something so expensive and so other that you couldn't imagine. Now, any kid with a smartphone can make a movie with free editing software, could make a feature length movie mm-hmm. in his neighborhood. And I think he should. And that's the, you know, learning by doing is such so much huge part of it. Mm-hmm. So the technical cost side of starting to do these things, you could always sketch if you're an artist, you could, you know, sketch with a pen, pencil and paper, but Trying out these things and seeing if you have a feel for it, see if it makes you happy, if the process makes you happy, just tell them to, to just do it over and over and over again and go through the difficult, courageous thing of showing it to somebody. Because, oh, especially when you're a teenager, <sighs> imagine it's like taking your clothes off in front of somebody. But, you but, show no. somebody a story and you're asking them to say, I like what you did. I get what you did. and or this is terrible. You should throw this away. I, I have no clue why you wrote this. That could be an honest res, you know, response to the thing. You're, you're, so when you're becoming better at what you do, you're having to show it to other people because unless you do, you know, you, not. you're not going to get anything. You know, you're, you're not really going to grow of it. What we tell writers mm. is to think of the people that would be hiring you. Put yourself in the position of the person hiring you. And the, the simple, easiest way for us to visualize that is at Disney, about three, four times a year, they'd have an open call for artists. And they were asked to bring their portfolio in. So there'd be maybe 15 working artists at Disney Animation and an unknown artist could come in and say, look at my drawing. Now, if you haven't spent three or four years drawing a couple, 300 things, throwing out 90% that aren't working very well, you're not going to have a portfolio. You really need to put in the effort to try stuff and have something to show to people when they look. Because if you get hired, you're going to get hired to do the hiring company a favor. They need to someone that writes well or draws well, and they've got a space for you now, and they need you to fill it. So they're going to look and see what your talent is. And unless you put in the hours, it's like being an athlete, unless you put in the, the months and the years of practice and trying and getting better at it, you're not going to have anything in your portfolio. Going and say, well, I've got some great ideas for <laughs> some artwork. 
we get that all the time with writers. Well, you know, I never really kind of finished the script, but I've got all these great ideas for them. Could we talk about those? I said, well, write four or five for us, show them to us. We'll tell you how we want to help you with them. But until you've got something for us to look at, we really can't help you. You need to, you need to get down and, and do it. I was, oh, not so long ago. Whatever you're interested in pursuing, say, in the industry, go online and seek out examples of it. For, I mean, like the WGA has a vast script library. You know, go figure out what a script looks like. You know, if you want to, there's so many resources that neither one of us had access to several decades ago, several decades ago when we each came out here that we here at the computer week. And I, I thought I had a list here on my phone. I couldn't find it, but there are so many more resources. Take advantage of the resources. In the not too long ago, you and I were kind of in agreement that it's like, if you want to design cars, you needed to get up and move to Detroit because that's where that was happening. You can design cars anywhere you want, but in terms of actually designing them for someone who will pay you to do that, you needed to be in Detroit. Once upon a time, you had to be in Hollywood. You had to physically be here. And I'm not going to say that's still not the case because it's, it, you're bumping into people you know. You're, you, know you're, you get your crew here, your, your found family. But you don't necessarily need to, need to do that just because you can, you can write anything, you can film anything, you can put it online and and just just do it just do it uh, is like i said are there writers you like are there artists you like see if they have a facebook page or a web page yeah and and study it when we were trying to break in if each say, of us yeah it's, you know if if i like i i needed to write a couple spec scripts you know just to show i knew how to write a say a sitcom if i want trying to break into sitcoms well we didn't have video we didn't have video libraries or streaming libraries of old sitcoms so you just had to try to remember, well, I've seen a lot of taxi episodes, so I kind of know who the characters are. And there was no library of them. Now, if you want to say, well, I think I'm going to write a, a Simpsons as, to show people that I can understand characters in a show and write a really funny story. You can just hit a couple buttons, go on Disney Plus, and see 33 years of, you know, 800 episodes of The Simpsons. And analyze them and take a month and get yourself so simpson focused that when you start writing you will have done your homework we didn't have that back then now if you really have a have an ambition if you have something that makes that excites you you can take the time and you can and it, it's available somewhere even if it's not on a streaming service it's probably on the web somewhere so somebody some youtuber has it and we're not saying that anyone listening Turn this off, get to your computer, start writing. But don't necessarily hit yourself in the head saying, well, I have to write a 90-minute feature or I have to write a half-hour comedy. Neither one of us planned to be in animation right. when we came out here. We just wanted to write for TV and movies. If you, want to, if you want to be a writer, can you come up with a sketch? Can you come up with some sort of silly skit or a dramatic skit and that's only you know, two or three characters? Can you, can you come up with something, a, a dialogue, a monologue for some character? Can you put something down on paper? Interesting ideas. Oh, that's, I, that, I'd like to, that caught my ear. I'd like to try and do something about that. No one is asking you to sit down and come out with a large script in one day. That, <laughs> it can, you can do it, but it's not pretty. But 
give yourself the opportunity to just start, just start trying, just start trying to do whatever it is you want to do. And don't feel like there's any one way into doing this. I mean, we do people all sorts of different backgrounds that stumbled into it. It just, I happened, you know, my neighbor was working for Hanna-Barbera and they suddenly needed twice as many scripts as they needed the week before. And your neighbor knew you were one. My neighbor knew that I'd spent the last seven years writing scripts. And he said, well, you've got a bunch of scripts. You've got something you can show my boss. And I said, yeah, here. So you need to be short, funny. Okay. I had one of everything. So, okay, here you go. It was a taxi script. It wasn't an animated script that she read that. So, okay, this guy can write. Okay. We'll, we will let him pitch. And that was the big door opening that 800 episodes later, you know, that was the, what opened the door and said, okay, now somebody may pay me to do this. But I needed to have spent the seven years writing all that stuff so that the evening that he said, oh, you know, you know tomorrow I'm going to go back and I can take one of your scripts in the show. If I didn't have anything, you know, I was just always, sorry, I'm going to have to pass up the opportunity. And no ambition to write for Hanna-Barbera, not my idea of a great time. but. It was a professional door opening uh-huh. and took it and boom, stuff happened. So, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you just said, yeah, <laughs> just try. Just try. I wouldn't mind reading that or seeing that script on Taxi someday. That would be kind of fun. <laughs> having watched the show, do you visualize oh, yeah. the characters and everything? That'd be kind of fun. Uh, Julia, as long as we're talking about getting something down and putting it out there, I know that you have an ambition to do a what if story. Have you knocked on AC Bradley's door yet? I have put it out there in the ether. No one's ethered me back. But, <laughs> but <laughs> well, maybe you need to knock a little louder. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, after seeing the presentation at San Diego Comic Con for, for, for the, the new, for the new what if season, it says, oh my God, that would be a fun sandbox to get to play in. Well, they got a third season, so you might have an opportunity. I might there. have an opportunity. Yeah. I might have an opportunity. Boy, that would be fun. Yeah. Boy, howdy, that'd be fun. And talking about writing, I know specifically, Eric, that you have had a couple of books out there. I've got one on my iPad right now. It's the titled Previously on X-Men, The Making of an Animated Series. You also have a graphical book with, a, with the art in it as well. There you go. The art and X-Men, the art and making of the animated series. So, so very different. The first your first one is a oral history, which you, which you wrote about. And this other one is, is more, here's analyzing how they came up with the look and the product, all the production questions. For of, example. Of how you put together a hand-painted animated series. in the Character mountains. designs. So trying to have a balance between the first two. The first one we did with, without Marvel because they had, didn't have the rights back to the show. So it's almost all interviews and personal histories. This one is jam-packed. With mark with with <laughs> images from the show like original cells like that one. So the, it depends on on your interest. The one with that's full of art is more accessible, I think, to an average fan or to someone who just has a, like the show. The other one is if somebody's really fascinated with learning how five years of holding a show together feels <laughs> like. Well, the drama in season one alone in this thing was <laughs> worth the personal. read. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to argue. Yeah, because it was real. I was there. I thought. <laughs> one of the reasons that I'm showing this on an iPad here is because I don't have a physical copy because I went to look to find a signed copy somewhere and I couldn't find it. So if I wanted a signed copy, where would I go these days? Either find us at a con or <laughs> or 
write us, email us directly, and we can we can we've got we got a we got cases of the books above the garage up here. I'm sure we could work something out. Yeah, contact our our uh, X Men email address, and uh, we can send you one. That sounds great. And is that where fans can find you on the at X Men TAS Twitter account and Facebook? Yeah. Yes, that's us. And we have an Instagram and we have a Facebook page and we actually have a website that we need to get back into. Zhuzh it up. Had a lot of fun since we last posted on that. But please, we just try to be as accessible as we can. Yeah, and I'm happy is, to talk the about The same thing with the art book. Yeah. We've got, we always make sure to have stacks of copies because every time we go to a, to a con, that's when from our table that's what we're there to sell and to, to celebrate and anybody that wants one we can mail it to them it's hard outside of the u.s it's very expensive the books are this books sorry this book's four pounds so but sending this to canada is like 70 dollars of shipping which is more than the book yeah so <laughs> so uh and it's but the books are cheap to send in the u.s so anywhere in the continental u.s we can send you the book for basically what you pay on amazon so you mentioned cons. Do you have any lined up in the near future? Funny you should ask. Coming up August 11, 12, 13, whatever that weekend yeah. is. Uh, so a, a, a week, oh, like God. a week from now, Pittsburgh at Steel City. We're going to be at Steel City. Con. How crazy is that? And then, and then LA Con, first week of December. And then Grand Rapids, the second weekend of November. Grand Rapids, Michigan are the three we've got set up right now for the rest of the year. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yes. 12, very nice people. We were there three, four years ago. 12, 13, and 14. And Saturday, Friday through Grand Rapids is going to be jam-packed with the voice talent because... This is a first. Because if you think about it, all the voice talent, live, most all of them live in Toronto, mm -hmm. which is Michigan adjacent. So they, they could, hell, they could, they could drive if they wanted to. <laughs> and so, yeah, Grand Rapids, it's, it's a nice middle-sized convention. And it's... Yeah, and I said there'll be six or seven of the cast there. Well, I look forward to possibly seeing you there because now you've piqued my interest. I didn't know you guys were going to be there. So maybe, maybe I'll find my way up there. All right. Are there any other current projects that you're working on that you want to talk about? <sighs> no, I think we're set. Maybe said too much already about X-Men 97. Yeah. <laughs> no, a gal pal and I, a fellow animation writer, she and I took these last two and a half years are just one long blur. Of being, hunkered, of being hunkered down. So she and I took it upon ourselves to write a Hallmark-style Christmas movie for live action. And so it's like, why not? Why not? You know, we had the downtime, so, so we'll, we'll, I'll keep you posted we'll on that one. We'll see if anybody we'll salutes that one. <laughs> You're speaking you to my no heart. idea how on-brand that is. Yes. <laughs> you have, SP is our resident Hallmark guru. We always pass, you know, we always ask, you know, on the scale. So if you want, you know, he library right there, SP. Oh my God. What I love is the fact that most of these things are filmed in like the Vancouver area where a lot of like the sci-fi and genre actors live and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And they branched out now. They, they film all over the place, including Toronto. So you get some of the talent that is on other genre shows on these Hallmark shows. So it's great watching them in there as well. So I I've enjoyed it and okay. it's, it's good. You know, it, 
it grates on you after a while because like nothing bad ever happens and they're all formulaic and stuff like that. Right. So you really clumb on to the ones that are really unique and have a twist to them and stuff like that. But well, yeah, I okay. put it out in the ether on my behalf that the script gets picked up. And then we can- <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. Then I'll have you back on. We'll talk exactly. about the crossover Happy between X-Men and Happy. Hallmark. Yeah, there you go. Right. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us. This has been an absolute treat. You've spent a lot of time with us. I know it's time out of your day. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for all. having us, guys. Uh, thank you very much. This is a dream come true to meet people behind the scenes. One of the things I tell, like to back, piggyback on what you're talking about with entering the industry, I always also tell people there are other jobs besides art and directing. There's production design, there's producing, there is props and makeup and all of that comes together to make everything. So sometimes, you know, think beyond just writing and directing. That's one of the things I, I always tell because I get students, I teach science and they're like, oh, I want to be a doctor, but I don't, you know, it's so expensive. And it's like, well, you know, you don't need to go to med school to be an ultrasound tech or an MRI tech. And they're like, really, Miss Ely? And I'm like, Yes. And so I, you know, expand on, you know, what they can possibly do. Sure. No, if you don't know, you can't, you know, you don't know. You don't know the kind of opportunities are out there unless someone can help you figure that out. So good for you. Good for you. Getting that peek behind the scenes is always fun. But also, I feel called out again for having all these ideas and nothing written down. So. Well, I'm call- okay. Yeah. Consider yourself called 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 out. Okay, uh, here my my one. I made this up a while ago, and I thought it was pretty good. But the worst movie ever made is better than the greatest idea that's not on paper. Because the worst movie it had a script and it got made. So every idea you've got, write something down. Just do it. Do it for me. Do it for me. Even the awful paper. Fantastic Four movie. Oh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to call anyone out. I was thinking. <laughs> you continue to call me out. I don't care. The next one will be better. Really looking forward to it. Anyway, thank you very much, guys. Okay. Thank, thank you. you thank you. Wow. That was amazing it was probably one of the best hour and a halfs of legends of shield i've ever done that was really cool to be able to talk to eric and julia i want to thank them again very much for taking their time out of their day to talk to us they actually ended up talking to us for a lot longer than we had planned a lot longer than they had planned so really appreciate that and i want to thank them very much for their consideration towards somebody that might be interested in joining the Hollywood industry in creating a new X-Men or whatever. They were very forthright in saying, hey, if you're going to be part of this, you got to practice and you have to put yourself out there and get reviewed and have material ready to go. And I really, really appreciate it. Now, in November, they said that they are going to be at the con in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I am strongly considering going to that just to meet up with them and see them and see them live on the stage. So if you have a chance, please do so. They will be making the con circuit as they said. And then also 
next time we'll be talking about She-Hulk. So we're going to shift gears and that's what we're going to be talking about. But I just want to thank Eric and Julia uh, about their time that they spent with us and all their great stories and knowledge of behind the scenes. I really thought they were going to stick straight to 45 minutes or an hour, but I think they enjoyed our questions and our banter and they were able to discuss things that perhaps other people had just hadn't asked them. This is my favorite kind of interview because you know they're coming in with a bit of an agenda and there's no problem with that. They have their show that they worked on before and their show, I call it their show because I don't care. They have the new show that they're helping with and just the fact that they made such an effort to go and spread the credit around to every single person who deserved it. And as much as they could say about the new one, I'm glad that they were willing to let us in on every bit that they could and maybe some tiny bits that they shouldn't have. There was, as I was editing the interview, there was a couple of things in there. And I'm like, oh, he almost stepped over the line, but she reeled him back in. If you want to contact them, if you want to say, hey, thanks for all the work that you've done, they are on social media. It's at X-Men TAS. So go ahead and do that. And then talking about how to get a hold of us. If you have any thoughts about where we should go in the future, any thoughts about X-Men, the animated series, any thoughts about She-Hulk, we do have our Twitter account at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We also have a Discord server. And that's gunnageek.com slash discord. And you can go to the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. channel in there. And we can have a lot of fun talking about She-Hulk, X-Men, Marvel in general, and perhaps where X-Men 97 is going to go. I will say that he, one of his slips mentioned introduce, right? He said introduce. And I'm like, oh, Something big is going to happen with X-Men 97. Like maybe it will be the official introduction of X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Maybe it'll be a character or characters. I don't know. But that was my big takeaway is like, this is going to be a good series to watch. And I'm so glad we're doing the X-Men 97 or the X-Men, the animated series rewatch prior to this, because I will have context for that. And that's always good for me. I like the world building. I like the context stuff doesn't mean more to me unless I know the background to it. So I'm glad that we're doing this. So thank you so much to everybody that suggested that we watch X-Men, the animated series. That's all I've got this week. You guys good. Yep. It's an exciting week. Like, I don't know if the listeners can handle any more than this. Okay. So we'll let them go a week before they watch She-Hulk and then come back next Saturday, the 20th of August at 9 a.m. Eastern time. That is our new recording time as long as She-Hulk is airing on Thursdays and we will talk She-Hulk. Until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm Agent Chris. I hope Jethro's got a walk in by now. Jethro's a good boy. My only regret is that we didn't get to see his cute little face. Not so sure he's little, the German Shepherd. They're always cute little faces. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows.
You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Yeah, well, it's great to uh, finally meet the dynamic duo here. <laughs> uh, we can do, do Batman. So what are we supposed to call you? SP. SP is actually my real name. Yeah. <laughs> okay. My dad calls me SP. My dad's name was Gomer. So, hey, I, you know, I understand potential issue. Yeah, I didn't think anybody was named Gomer, but yeah, that's definitely very Welsh. Yeah, he'd been named after his own grandfather. That was Gomer. Okay. <laughs> Jeez, really? Yeah, very Welsh. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We'll wait until Chris gets here. He should be coming. I will tell him. Oh yeah, we're we're really early. We- yeah. Well, that just means that we can get going early, and you guys can right. go to right. your. Emmy Award winning dinner that you've got to go on to tonight. <laughs> Do not talk. Oh, yeah. Oh, Water, can you get a copy of the book too? Don't we have like a, yeah. I've got this book, but. Excellent taste. Excellent taste. Mm-hmm. You have the official oral history. Well, not official, but I call it official. Oh, nice. Oh. Did it come through on the. It's a little gear you got going on there. Oh, yeah. He has your oral history book. All right, right. Yep, it's a fantastic read. Thanks for putting it together. It was, it was weird. She nudged me into it back in what, 2015. 20, because an anniversary for X-Men was coming up and nobody was doing anything about it because all the rights were still scattered in the wind. So if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Yeah. So he did. And then that... that was, it, was, it was very much fun because we all sorts of people we interviewed that, A, we hadn't looked at the shows in 20 years and <laughs> people that some people we've never even spoken to or met so mm. it was particularly fun interviewing the cast because we were down here in california and they were up in canada so. yeah i seem to remember watching a panel that you guys did around the anniversary time and you mentioned you had never met the cast before and whatever you were doing was like the first time that you had met the cast i was like wow yeah, yeah. how crazy is that yeah so i mean we spent five years listening to them and they'd spent five years reading us but never the yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah. and zoom calls weren't a thing back then and the, the internet did not exist the internet wasn't a thing the, back then yeah. literally so yeah when they recorded something they all mailed an audio cassette from canada to la and a couple of days later we'd get it we'd make our notes and we'd and you'd fax we, them. we faxed them a list of things we'd like attended to the next time they got around to it Vaccine. That was yeah. That was a deep human interaction we had during the production. Did you have the copy machines, the memeograph machines in the office too? No, no, no that, <laughs> that's a little too. Ancient. But photocopy machines, yes. Yeah. But that was living high back then, having your own photocopy machine in your house. Yeah. yeah. And and really hot laser printers were printing like eight pages a minute. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I remember that. 
when I was in college, I went to a rather high pressure college uh-huh. and um, I got a degree in astronautical engineering and we were just pulling all nighters all the time. And there was a fight for, there was like a hundred of us that shared a common printer. There was a fight yeah. every night to try Cause you'd have to go to the printer with your disc, put the disc in and print from the printer. Uh-huh. And there was a fight. Uh, there was a line and people were like, I need to go to bed. And <laughs> it was like first come first serve or yep. whoever's bigger is going to win. I remember those days. So before we start, how'd you guys uh, start designing your set back there? Oh. <laughs> Again, me. Yes, because yeah, um, bits and pieces. Cause yeah, I wasn't even sure we I've got a, perfectly serviceable desk area with no good background to it, of course and but she said no 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 we need to we need to get some of our dig some of our toys and stuff out and some of the stuff stuff we take to cons like the banner but but we have the some, old pizza hut you know, pizza hut pizza toys. hut 1992 mm-hmm. with the placemats yes, uh-huh. cups cups xmart uh-huh. cup tops and if you look at the top there, Eric was nominated for an Emmy uh, for his work on Madeline in Paris a few years ago. So that that's a salute to that up there. Yeah. And I work. We met uh, working on Chippendales Rescue Rangers, which is the next uh, two items. In the up corner. There, so. Yeah. Yeah. We were both hired at Disney then. In fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was hired about five months before she was, and mm-hmm. then I I left for a bit, and she took over my desk. Yeah. So we that, that's that's met. Desk yeah. wars. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me say this. We made it to San Diego Comic-Con, and to their credit, the folks at San Diego made a real effort. Everyone had to get a, a wristband indicating that they'd shown that they have immunity or they've taken the COVID shots, and you had to show that to get into the hall, and you had to wear masks in the hall. Outside, it was a free-for-all, but inside the con itself, they were really making an effort. We didn't catch anything. And we, no, I'm going to knock wood on that right now. But, but we got to go Friday to... For the first time ever, Marvel had a, a double presentation. They had their live action on Saturday, but they had an animated panel on Friday. And that included the folks who are doing I Am Groot, the Spider-Man, Spider, uh, Spider-Man Marvel Zombies, and X-Men 97. And Bo DeMaio, who was up there on the podium, was so incredibly kind, but he called us and Larry Houston out in the audience to stand up and wave to the crowd because he appreciated the original so, so, show so much. And that was a nice moment. That was a very nice moment. I assume you keep in touch with Larry. If you could pass on our thanks for being involved in the show and being so accessible yes. since then, I appreciate that. And also, I've only ever seen one interviewer snippet of Margaret, and it's on the Batman series anniversary special that was on youtube it's the only place i've ever seen her she might have done stuff in the past but it's not available now you know she's it's not that she's shy it's just that you know i don't think she understands completely what her what her role has been in all this and how none of this would have happened if she hadn't been the president of fox kids we would love to talk to her yeah we okay i'm putting this into the ether la comic-con looks like it'll be in early december and we're here in Los Angeles. I believe she's, she travels, but I think she's also L.A.-based. I would love to do a 30th anniversary salute panel for her, for Fox Kids, at L.A. Comic-Con. Her and Sydney and... Yeah. 
lot of people who have not gotten their props for the work they did that made all this happen. Yeah. Thank you very much. And I know you got to go. So, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. All, all right. right. Give Jethro okay. our love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he just walked back in. Okay. All right. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Let's all pour one out for the live action DC movies. Oh. I, yeah, that's just. Their animated movies are great. You know, when I said that The Flash leaving was going to kill CW, I didn't mean for it to expand like that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we knew that The Flash was not going to happen, so this is a path to not make it happen. But looking at that, just the cast, and the Warner Brothers coming out and saying it is not due to any actor's performance, they were all wonderful. Okay, so... I think they're just killing off the DCEU at this point. But just a horrible move with how they've been, but also the Batman, Batman made a lot of made. Yeah, the Batman made a lot of mo- made a lot of money, but is the Batman part of DCEU though? No. There you go. It's not not part of it. Well, if it's not connected, they can get away with yeah having it either as a standalone or. Having it, it's its own universe or the beginning of a new universe, yeah. maybe, right? And then just letting go of everything else. They might not want to deal, the new owners might not want to deal with the politics behind Wonder Woman. And unfortunately, there is politics there beyond she's a woman. There is actual legitimate politics there. The corporate owners might have alternative politics and they might not want that. They might have issues with Jason Momoa. So they might just want to go in a different direction altogether. Just call it failed experiment. Just wrap it up, put it on a shelf, get the royalties from everything, and then just move on. But the, just the cast behind Batgirl, I was really... Brendan Fraser. I love Brendan Fraser. Yeah. I was interested to see his take as a villain because he's always like the good guy. And I like him as the good guy. But okay, I, I know he's got some chops. Let's see the bad guy. J.K. Simmons as anybody besides Jameson. <laughs> and we had Michael Keaton. How do you shelve a, a movie with Michael Keaton in it? He fed a baby chili. <laughs> I just. Yeah. So glad we're not doing Starling Tribune because this would have been a, either a week of relief or a tough week. One of the two. Oh, speaking yeah. of that, Kaylee also says thank you for us not looking at Morbius. <laughs> yeah no not gonna put anyone through that I, i'm not, i i watched like some online stuff so it's like okay i don't need to watch this <laughs> i know lauren loves venom i fell asleep 20 minutes into that movie <laughs> yeah i watched it and it was like hey i guess michelle williams needed a mortgage payment or something yeah maybe but it's better than Venom, though. Gwenom. <laughs> I swear, if if they pitch, you know, a baking show with Gwen Stacy, you'll be like, yes. Do you know what I left at the comic shop today? Edge of Spider-Verse? No, I grabbed that. Okay. Of course. Um, but they also, 
they grabbed i don't even know what series it is but it's when they were doing all the gwen stacy variant covers yeah they just went ahead and pulled that for me really and some other stuff yeah your comic book store sounds awesome to have all it, that yeah. stuff in stock i think i just get lucky and they like there's two people now who want all the peach momoko stuff but i said me first so i get first <laughs> dibs on it i mean if they have a copy of devil's reign number two i would grab that sucker i will check because I think what happened is that might have been one of the weeks where Diamond had problems with printing and distribution. So there might be limited copies out there to begin with. And, and also the story is pretty, you know, stabbing Spider-Man and stuff like that. So at least that's what the cover shows. So, I mean, if they have it, I would grab it because it's going to cost me a lot of money to get that thing. I know I have my copy because I grabbed it when it came out. Oh, well, I would protect that thing because it's worth a lot. We're getting a fourth cat. Aww. You have it or you're getting it? We're getting it. One of Kaylee's friends, they can't have it in the apartment they had to get into. And I didn't even get the whole story there, but not fully their choices as much as I got. Instead of the cat going to some random place where they hope they can deal with a five-year-old male cat, we are going to have a fourth cat, which is going to be a third five-year-old male cat. Aww. What's its name? Buddy. Buddy. Is it a friendly social cat or very much leave me alone? We have been told it's a friendly social cat who is good with other cats and everything. That's we good. already have one cat who just stays away from everybody else because she doesn't like anybody. <gasps> the diva. The diva. You have to have a cat. Yeah. Well, yeah. My son's all moved. Yay. Good. Got up at 2 a.m. a week ago Friday. Drove there. Got there slightly after 10, like 10, 11, something like that. Loaded him up. I don't remember when we left. I, I guess I can back it up. I think we left about three, four o'clock, something like that. We left his place. We went to his storage unit, loaded up his motorcycle, which is the only thing left in his storage unit. And I asked him, okay, so you've done this before. How do you strap down a motorcycle? Because I've never trailered a motorcycle before. He's like, I don't know. My friend did it for me. Oh, God. So we sat there for, well, it was an eight-minute video. We went to YouTube University, and we sat there. I double-timed it, so it was four minutes, and watched a professional strap down a motorcycle. I'm like, okay, got it, and then strapped down the motorcycle, and then left probably around four o'clock, got to the Twin Cities at eight, and then uh, it was a little after eight. It was closer to nine. The storage unit area closes at nine. They don't allow you in after hours, I think because they have somebody living there and they just don't want that person bothered during off hours, which I understand. Yeah. It's a chain. So it's not like it's a mom and pop operation. And he had taken two trips before, two weeks before and a week before. 
and he had left after hours and they sent him a scathing email saying, you are not authorized to be here after hours. We noticed your code in the gate. Do not do this again. And he's like, I don't want to get kicked out of the storage unit. So we are not going to go after hours. So we didn't. But there was rain coming in. And so the next morning we got up at like six o'clock in the morning and we were headed there. It was supposed to open at six. Our goal was to be there at seven. And then we get like two blocks down and he stops and he's just in the middle of the road. It's in, in a subdivision. And he's just in the middle of the road and I'm sitting behind him like, okay, I, something's up. And he finally calls me and he says, it's not open until nine. I'm like, oh, great. Cause the storm's coming in. And the only thing we had out in the open was the motorcycle, but neither of us really wanted to get the motorcycle wet. So we're like, okay. So we go back to my parents' house and then he reads the fine print and says the office isn't open until nine, but you can access at 6 a.m. So we're like, okay, we're good. So we get there and unload the stuff. And then as we're taking the trailers to the U-Haul place to drop them off, it starts pouring. <laughs> we're like, okay, success. Oh, no. No, it's wow. not. A, it was a bad thing. It was a success, right? Got it. So that was good. He's all moved in with my parents. I went out to lunch with my sister, my nephew, my son, and my mom. And this place was called... Bottles and burgers, I think. is good food, very pleasant staff. There was, I don't know, four to six dozen flies that kept on swooping in on us inside the restaurant. Mm. And it just got to a point where we were just swatting the flies. We all had caps on, so we were swatting flies. And at one point in time, I grabbed the napkin and my sister said, there's one on the, on the thing behind you, on the booth top behind you so i took the napkin i went wow well unbeknownst to me there was this big old burly dude sitting right behind me so i had <laughs> whacked him on top of the head and had to go over apologize I was like i'm so sorry he's like there's certainly a lot of flies around here aren't there yeah so i got out of that one but for a minute there i was for my life that I'd inadvertently it's like I had hit juggernaut in the face and now I was like oh my gosh juggernaut is now coming after me right <laughs> but I turned out good but to close the loop on the epic mower situation the mower arrived the day before I left so I had the mower but the batteries have to ship separately so I didn't have the batteries and the batteries, by the way, didn't show up until Monday. So like four days later after I got the mower. So I had no way to mow the lawn. So when I got back, the lawn was really long. I'm like, okay, let's see if this new mower can handle this. So yesterday I got home, well, I got home two days ago, but yesterday I went out and I Got the mower all set up. I put the battery in and off we go. It worked great. Cut great and everything. I get a little bit more than a third of the way through. Battery one depletes. I'm like, oh my gosh. So a couple of things. I had taken off the standard blade and put on the performance blade, which 
was a little bit more energy to do that. And second of all, I put it on max instead of auto. So it was using the maximum amount of battery. But I had to because the grass was really long. So I put in the second battery and I'm like, I hope I make it through because I only have two batteries and the batteries take like two and a half hours to charge. I went to try to put the first battery back on the charger and it wouldn't charge because it was above temperature limits. I mean, the battery was just hot from use. You know how batteries, when they just charge, they, they get hot. So I'm down to one battery. And if I have to use the second battery or the first battery, it's going to be like two and a half, three hours because it's fully depleted. So I get through and I, I get all the way done. I'm like, okay, let's see how much charge is left. I press the indicator button on the battery, no lights. So it was like done. So, wow. So two full 7.5 amp hour, 60 volt batteries. I depleted doing my lawn, doing my half acre plus lawn. I had been led to believe that one battery would do it. Now I have two batteries that were fully depleted. So now I have to buy a third $350 battery to make sure that I can mow the lawn when the batteries get old. Well, that's what happens when you upgrade and use all the power. House power. Oh, yeah. Power. <laughs> oh, Michelle, you haven't seen my new friend at my desk. What type of Gwen is this? This is Gwenpool. Ah. See, please note that I already knew it was a Gwen of some sort. <laughs> it is me. Oh my god. Vacuum cleaner, I'm gonna stop. It's like what is that noise? Wait, are you stopping the vacuum from your phone? Yeah. So cool. It's not stopped yet. Sometimes he doesn't listen. We named it after our old dog because the old dog ate everything on the floor. <laughs> so what's, what's its name then? Valor. Valor was our old dog. Valor V, because he was the fifth Valor that Canine Companions for Independence had. Yeah, he's not listening today. Bad boy. I'll, I'll tell him that. Hold on. <laughs> Oh, Fowler, bad boy. Bad Fowler. <laughs> well, the trip back was grueling. It was 14 and a half hours. It was just, uh, at least the trip up, I got like this swath of time that I was moving. And I don't know, that kind of helped, I guess. But on the way back, it was just on the car. It was 14 and a half hours. It was just, uh, it was a long time. Your great state of Indiana, Michelle, is oh, road yeah. construction sucks. Yep. Yeah, especially around Indy. Oh, my gosh. I got to Indianapolis, and <laughs> I'm like, okay, I know the path that I want to take. I'm coming in 74 on the west side of town, and I'm going to take 465 around the south end, and then hook <laughs> up with 70 east on the other end. And I've just had it in my mind. I totally ignored the GPS. And the GPS kept on saying, hey, doofus, turn off now. Hey, idiot, turn off now. now. Idiot, go the other way. It was like telling me to turn around. And so in full disclosure, it does that when I go that way because it wants to route me a little bit north just in general. But no, I wanted to go south because that was the way I was through. 
And not until I got stuck in stop and go traffic, did I actually look at the redness all the way around the South end of India. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know how the roads turn red, right? Yep. Oh no. So I finally, after like half an hour, got to the next exit and was able to get off. I was wondering why people weren't doing the same thing that I was only a handful, but most other people stayed on the road and I'm, like kicking myself now, by the way, if I would have stayed on the road, I think I would have gotten over because I was at the tail end of rush hour. I think I would have gotten by fine, but nope. So it's backup took me through downtown, which 70 does not connect through downtown because the bridges are literally non-existent right now as they rebuild them. So you have to get off on secondary street. So I literally went through downtown Indianapolis in rush hour, stop and go traffic. You got it. You know, you creep forward to the next light, you stop for the light. It turns green, you creep forward to the next light, you stop there. So I was in downtown for, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour. Oh, it was just, uh, it was aggravating, especially because I just wanted to get home. Oh, I know. I, we tried to avoid Indy. It's like, do you want to go to Indianapolis this weekend? No, no one. It's like, no, I don't want to go there. If you make me go to there, you better be paying me to go to there. Like getting to Gen Con, it's just, yeah, the last time I went, it was just like, good Lord. Yeah, Cody came down from Chicago on I-65 and he texted me. He's like, dude, what is up with I-65? I'm like, it's constructed the whole way between Indianapolis and Chicago. That is why I go Bloomington Normal. Yeah, and and that's it's been going on now. So I've been in Indy for six almost. It's been going on for like six, seven years. This I seven, this sixty five project. Trains. We need trains. What's wrong with trains? High speed trains. Yeah. Yeah. I'll meet you at the monorail. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was really neat. That Eric said his favorite show was Logan. When he said that, I was like. Oh, I was totally not thinking that. But as he said that, I'm like, that totally makes sense. If I was in his shoes and X-Men was my like bubble into the Marvel Cinematic Universes, the Logan would be my favorite. I mean, he mentioned First Class and, you know, some of the other really good X-Men movies. But yeah, I got to say, Logan takes the cake. Logan was there. Logan was it. Yeah. And Julia liked Moon Knight. If you get hired, you're going to get hired to do the hiring company a favor. They need someone that writes well or draws well, and they've got a space for you now, and they need you to fill it. So they're going to look and see what your talent is. And unless you put in the hours, it's like being an athlete, unless you put in the, the months and the years of practice and trying and getting better at it, you're not going to have anything in your portfolio. Going and say, well, I've got some great ideas for <laughs> some artwork. We get that all the time with writers. Well, you know, I never really kind of finished the script, but I've got all these great ideas yes. for them. Can, can we talk about those? I said, well, write four or five for us, show them to us. We'll tell you how we want to help you with them. But until you've got something for us to look at, we really can't help you. You need to, you need to get down and, and do it. I was, oh, golly. Where are, are we? Yeah, you're still here. One moment, please. Eric, you want to check the battery? Uh, sure. It looks like we're running low here. Give us a second.
because we're having a final time, but so I didn't la 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 la. Ah, yeah, I think oh. the dog stepped up. Oh, there you go. Jethro did it in the office with a candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> it's not his fault because he's furry and perfect. Oh, there you go. Legends of Shield is copyright 2013 through 2022.